Park Church Podcast in Phoenix, Arizona. We are in 1 Kings chapter 3. We're going to be talking about always yes prayers in light of a story from the life of Solomon. Have you ever wondered, is there a way to up my batting average when it comes to prayers? You know what I mean, don't you? I mean, uh, in baseball, a batting average is when you can get a hit. You're at the plate and uh, your you're, you're, uh, at-bat matters because you get a hit or at least you get on base. Have you ever wondered that about your prayers? Is there a way for me to up the percentage of times where God says yes to me in my prayers? Is there, is there a certain way to pray? Is there a certain type of prayer? Are there certain words that I can use in my prayer that will help me better uh, get positive answers to the prayers that I pray? We're going to answer that question today. And in fact, I'm going to tell you uh, right up front that there are prayers to which God will always answer yes. And I'm going to talk a little bit about what those prayers might be and, uh, and how we can uh, tap into the power of always yes prayers, because they're very important. We're going to uh, start this out by talking about a man who prayed very wisely, and he is uh, well known for his wisdom. He's the third king of God's Old Testament people, Israel. Uh, the people of Israel had, had prayed and asked and even begged for a king. Uh, the uh, many of the, the, the judges who came before, the, the leaders of Israel who came before had warned the Israelites about asking for a king, that it wouldn't always be a good thing. The last judge, a man named Samuel, had specifically told them, but they kept on asking. Eventually, God relented, uh, gave, granted them their prayer, their wish, and they, their first king was a gentleman by the name of Saul. Uh, Saul was faithful at first, but then in, in the end of his life became unfaithful, he was, uh, after a long reign, uh, taken aside by God, and in his place came what many consider to be the greatest king of Israel of all time, uh, a gentleman by the name of David. And, and David ruled for a good long time. He was faithful to God. The Bible calls him a man af- after God's own heart. He stayed faithful to God, and in fact, uh, we know from the promises of God contained in the Old Testament that even the Messiah, the Savior Jesus, uh, was a uh, part of David's lineage. David's son Solomon was the next to be king. And the account that we're about to read in just a moment is an account from early in his reign. In fact, he has just been coronated king. He's a young man. He's feeling some doubts about his ability to lead God's great people. And so he comes to God and uh, he, he does this by means of, of going up to a place of worship that was located in Gibeon. Gibeon was this place that uh, the Israelites, after they had finished their wandering in the wilderness, their wandering in the desert of Sinai for 40 years, had pinched, pitched the tent of worship, the tent called the tabernacle. Uh, Solomon goes up to this tent to offer literally hundreds and hundreds of animal sacrifices and offerings. And at the, uh, at the very end of this, God says something amazing to Solomon. I wonder how you would have answered if, if God were to appear to you here today and, and, and place these same words uh, before you, I wonder how you'd answer. Because what God said was, Solomon, ask me for whatever you wish, whatever you'd like, and I will grant it to you. Now think about that for a moment. Maybe, maybe I'm going to challenge you. If God put that before you today, take out your pen. 
what would you ask for? I want to know if, if your answer at the beginning of this message would be the, the same answer at the end of this message. So if, if you're up to the challenge, if you want to just think about it, you can just think about it. But if you really want to, just write it down. What, what is it that you would ask for if God would come to you today and say, whatever you wish, I will grant it to you. What would you, what would you ask for? So from that point, I want to read... Uh, and you can pull out your crosswalk notes. It's much easier to follow along in the message if you have this white half sheet that's in your program. And I'm going to read from this story. Solomon has just offered all these sacrifices. God has just made all this, all this, um, this huge offer to Solomon. And here's Solomon's response. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, so God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies— But for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I like that word, moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. So I'm going to go back to kind of what I was talking about at the very beginning, the batting average thing. What, what strategies have you tried? What ideas have you been taught about getting a yes answer to your prayers. I think we often do teach, especially our children, certain things. If, if you can recall back to when you were a child, maybe your parents or an aunt and an uncle or a grandma or a grandpa taught you how to pray. Even when you were a little child, they taught you that there was a right, a correct posture for prayer, didn't they? Taught you that when you're praying, it's important to fold your hands and bow your head and talk softly to God. And maybe in the back of your mind as a little child, you began to just have the seed of a thought that getting a yes answer to my prayers is about having the right posture when I pray. Later on, uh, when we become adults, we begin to think of of that posture maybe in a little bit broader terms. um, And we begin to think of maybe I have to have the right performance as I go into my prayers. Maybe it's performance in my prayer life. I have to be persistent enough in my prayers to get a yes answer. I I have to keep repeating that prayer until I get the answer that I'm looking for. And if I'm not persistent, if, if I'm not bold enough or confident enough when I pray, Maybe my performance isn't to the level where it needs to be for God to say yes to me. And, and we even go broader than that, don't we, at times? We sometimes even fear to pray because of our performance outside of prayer. Maybe the past week hasn't been the best spiritual week for us. And we've drifted into a lot of sins and ugly things that we're not proud of, we're not happy with ourselves, and we're kind of approaching God, hanging our heads and going, God... I certainly don't expect a yes today, not after the way I've behaved this past week, this past month, for some of us this past decade. 
I include myself in that. You see, we can, we can get the idea in our heads that there are things that we must do and do correctly if we're going to get a yes to our prayers. Here's one last one. Sometimes we think we have to follow the right pattern in our prayer. Not just the right posture, not just the right performance, but the right pattern. In other words, we have to to follow a certain order of things as we pray. At our church, we often teach a little pattern for prayer called Acts. Start with adoration, then confession of sins, then thanksgiving, then supplication. That's asking for the stuff that you want. And that's a good pattern for prayer. Hopefully, we have never taught that. I hope we have never taught that in a way that has suggested that if you don't follow the ACTS pattern, you're not going to get a yes. But somehow, sometimes we get these ideas in our head that if you don't follow the right pattern, maybe it comes out in little ways. Like if I don't say, thy will be done, there's no way for God to answer yes to my prayer. Or if I don't end my prayer with the pattern saying, in Jesus' name, amen, I can't expect God to say yes to my prayers. What we want to talk about today is that, in reality, getting God to answer yes has nothing to do with any of those things. He's not looking for a certain posture when we pray. I'm not saying that posture can't be a good thing. It can be a helpful thing. He's not looking for a certain performance because he's performed it all for us already. That's what grace and forgiveness, that's what Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb are all about. The only performance that we need is Jesus' performance, and he's already performed that performance. So we have all of that that we need. And finally, it's, it's not about a certain pattern either. So, so what is it really about? And what I want to do is have you start by just simply writing down the answers to these first fill-ins on the bottom of page one. What if when I prayed, instead of trying to get God on my page... Instead, I asked God to help me get with him on his page. You know, so many of our prayers really, when you boil down to it, because we are sinners, because we're sinful, because, as we mentioned in the baptism, we're born into sin. We're we're at the very beginning of our lives. Think about this. We're already laid down in a pipeline that goes straight from the womb to hell. That's the natural condition of mankind. Not a good condition to be in. And because of the sin that's in us, what we've often said, and and, and an easy way to talk about what the root of sin is, is that sin is self-interest, selfishness, self-centeredness. It's all about me. And often, sometimes, that's how we start our prayers, all about us. And because of that, and maybe especially when we're going through struggles and we're in pain, and no one loves pain, and especially if you have to endure this pain over a long period of time, of course, the prayers are more and more and more going to go, go, God, can you help me? Can you relieve me of this pain? Can you take this away? Can you give me that? God, can you get on my page and see things the way I see them? Now, you want to hear something really kind of beautiful? 
God starts this whole thing by getting on our page. He got on our page, didn't he? There he was on the throne of heaven, and he came down and became a man so that he could experience the struggles that we experience, so that he could know the pain that we live through, the weakness that we have to deal with. Jesus Christ, true God, became true man. And it was exactly for the very reason that he's, he said, I want to see what life is like from their point of view. I want to get on that page. Isn't it awesome to know that you have a God and a Savior who, while he is the all-powerful king of all that is, is also a God who humbled himself and became a servant so that he could demonstrate the full extent of his love to you. And then, going beyond that, he became a man so that he had a body to offer as the the full payment and the full perfect sacrifice for your sins and mine. He had blood to spill as a true man so that that holy precious blood could fully atone for all your sins. And as Jonathan told us earlier, if you're sitting here in this auditorium today going, was that for me? Well, God says it was for the entire world. So of course then, if it's for the entire world, then it's, it must be for you. You are forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Christ because, exactly because, Jesus said, I'll get on your page with you. But today, I want to ask a different question. What if when we prayed, we responded to all this love that Jesus gave us of getting on our page with us and said, so now, Lord, help us get on your page with you when we pray? What would that look like? And I think we see an amazing sample or example of what that looks like in this life of Solomon. Take take a look. At, at what Solomon prays in verse 7. Go back to the top of page 1. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Those three words, you have made, are so important because this is Solomon saying, you know what's really important here, Lord? As you ask me, What do you want, Solomon? I'll give you anything you request. Solomon does not start with I. He starts with, Lord, you. You have made your servant king. Lord, I want to see this from your perspective. And that's so key when we pray and when we want to pray prayers that God will answer yes to is to get our head in the right place. Last week we talked about the fact that if we want our words, our prayer words to be the right words, we don't have to have a lot of formulas or patterns or that kind of stuff. We simply have to have our heart in the right place. And when our heart is in the right place because we know of the love of Jesus Christ, the cross, the empty tomb, That's just going to draw our heart into the right place. That good news gospel message just, mm, it's magnetic. It pulls us into the right place. But today I want to back up one more step. Because for our hearts to be in the right place, you know what also has to be in the right place? Our head has to be in the right place. 
We have to be thinking about things from God's perspective, not our own. And that's exactly what we see Solomon do here. Now, does that always come when we're young people? Like Solomon was this young king just starting his, his, to live out his God-given purpose? No. In fact, there's a great story in the Bible about a man named Job. And Job really starts out in this book with his head in the right place, his heart in the right place. And the story is about how God basically allows Satan to test him and give him a struggle. And Job responds amazingly at the beginning. It's the source of the very famous verse that probably many of you have heard. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Can you imagine your whole family wiped out, your business wiped out, your home leveled, and you just go, the Lord gave all that to me and the Lord has taken it away. I'm just going to worship him right now. Oh, man. But if you go on beyond that, say around Job chapter 3 to about Job chapter 40, that's a lot of chapters. And you know how I would summarize all those chapters? Job starts to get angry with God, frustrated with God, hurt that these things have uh, been taken away from him, and he, the real struggle begins. And that struggle is actually intensified by the fact that he gets visited by some friends and judged by some friends. But here's, how I, here's the thought with which I would summarize all those, verse, all those chapters. God, Job says, you need to see things from my perspective. God, you need to get on my page with me. Because if you would get on my page with me, God, I don't see how you could have let all this stuff happen. Now, do you know what God's answer to Job is? At the very end of the book, long around chapter 40 or so, God's answer is to look at Job and go, no, Job, the answer is not for me to get on your page. The answer is for you to get on my page. Did you create all this, Job? Are you the one that can make this and do that and have that happen? Do you have all this power? Where do you really stand, Job, over against God? And that question comes from God himself. And Job realizes he's humbled as God talks to him. And he realizes, you know what? I've had this wrong. I should stop asking for God to get on my page, and I should ask for God to help me get on his page. And look, look at what he says in chapter 42. This is Job. My ears had heard of you, he says to God, but now my eyes have seen you. Ever had that feeling? Like, okay, ever since I was a child, I've been taught about Jesus. I've been learning the Bible. I've memorized passages. I learned all these Old Testament stories and all these New Testament stories. I heard so much about God. And now this happened. And for the first time, it feels like I'm putting it all together. All those things that I learned from the Bible, all those things I learned about the gospel and God's promises and Christ and the, and the cross and the empty tomb, and this has happened now in my life. I had heard about you, God, but now, God, I really see you. Ever felt that way? And, and look at where it leads Job. 
Therefore, I despise myself. Now, I want you to circle half a word, not even a whole word. It's not going to be much effort. It's just a half a word. I want you to circle the the part of myself that is self. I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes, Job says. Now, it's a huge struggle. It lasts a long time. It goes into the very depths and then finally comes up to this point where Job gets to where Solomon seems to be as a young man. And he realizes, you know what? What's important is not for God to get with me on my page. What's important is for me to get with God on his page and see things from his perspective. Now, do you think that's going to change your prayers? It changed Job's prayers. It totally changed his prayers. Lord, I repent. I'm so sorry. I now know who I really am. You're God. I'm not. Please help me. And whatever you decide, I know, God, that will be good. It changed Solomon's prayers too. Because I want you to look at what what Solomon does. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But, he says, I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Solomon begins from this place of humility. And and he really gets that, like Job gets, I need to just come to God humbly and ask him, knowing how much he loves me, ask him to do for me what he wills to do for me. Let me get on his page. Turn over your crosswalk notes. You know why that was so important for Solomon? Because as faithful as Solomon was, as trusting as Solomon was early on in his life, Solomon was not yet fully on God's page with him. Now, Solomon was in in many ways on God's page, but he sort of still had kind of a foot dangling off. And we hear about it in this passage at the top of page two. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given him by his father, David. He was obedient. He was faithful. Now I want you to see the next word, accept. There's an area of of his life that he's not on God's page with, with God, except that he offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. See, when the Israelites were given the land of Canaan, there were other people already living there, pagan, unbelieving people who did not trust in the Lord. And their form of worship was to set up shrines and places of worship on every little hilltop. So if you can imagine these sort of rolling hills in the, in the land of Israel with little groves of woods on top of them, they would go up into the, those little hilltops in the, inside the groves and they would set up shrines to worship their false gods, their idols. And God told them, I don't want you to be like those unbelieving people. I want you to be unique. I want you to be special. I'm going to give you one designated place to worship me in and only worship me there. Well, Solomon was not obedient to that. And I'm sure he justified it. I'm sure he minimized it. I'm sure he said, well, God, at least I'm worshiping you. I'm not worshiping these pagan gods. I'm worshiping you on these high places. But God had said, don't worship me anywhere but in the designated place. So you know what question is coming, right? What are your high places? 
What are, what are your little compartments that you sort of justify and minimize and say, Lord, I'm, I'm following you like 95% of the way. But can you just understand and give me a little space if like my, I go outside your page just a little bit here? Can you let me sin? I think we all have those. In fact, I have way more than one of those. I'm guessing maybe some of you have way more than one of those too. Maybe you would never say, God, I'm following you 95% of the way. Maybe you're saying, God, I'm following you 75% of the way or 50% of the way. Or, God, I'm barely on your page. I've got my little finger on your page. The rest of it is on my page. Whatever it is, we can't allow it to continue. Because ultimately, Solomon's idolatry kills him. And ultimately, whatever area of our life that we think we can kind of mess around and meddle around and play with Satan and and do these little things and, and God won't judge us too harshly, God wants us to be fully 100% on his page with him. And we cannot, we cannot, because of the sin in us, do that by our own power. So you want to hear an always yes prayer? God, help me get on your page. I can't do it. I'm too weak spiritually. I constantly want to go off your page. I constantly want to drift. Bring me back. Bring me back. Forgive me, Lord. Do you think God for a moment is ever going to say no to you when you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me? Take my sins away, the forgiveness that you want at the cross. Give me that once again today, whether that's here in church or whether it's as you kneel down beside your bed at bedtime or first thing in the morning. God will always say yes to you when you say, forgive me and by your spirit's power, not by mine, draw me back to your page. You see, so many of us think that we get onto God's page by just digging deeper within ourselves. That's not how it's done. It's by reaching higher up to the God who can move our heart, mind, hands, and feet onto his page. And when we're on his page, then here's the key question that Solomon asked to how we can get one of those always yes questions. You see what Solomon says? Now, Lord, your God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. Turn it over again to the second page. Solomon clearly understood God's purpose for his life. And if you want to pray prayers that God will answer yes to, that's a key question. What is God's purpose for my life? Why has God put me here? Why, maybe more importantly, why has God left me here? Have you ever thought about that? Like what fisherman hooks a fish and then just lets it sort of swim around forever after it's hooked? Fishermen don't do that. Why doesn't God, as soon as you become a believer, just snatch you right up out and say, got one, putting him in heaven. He's safe. He's in the basket. We're done. Why does God not do that? Because God has a purpose for you to still be here. Take a look at Jesus. You see, Solomon was clear. My purpose is to lead these people. God has made me to be king. 
of his people Israel. Jesus was clear. Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's actually referencing a prophecy from the prophet Isaiah. And he says, this is fulfilled in me. This is my purpose. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Can you imagine what an awesome mission it is? Like, he's basically saying that pipeline that we talked about in this baptism, where people are born into a pipeline that goes from the womb to the fires of hell, God sent me with a big pickaxe to hammer that pipeline open and liberate all the souls that are in that pipeline and free them from their journey straight to hell. That's why I'm here, to set the prisoners free to preach the good news that the cross has paid for all your sins, the empty tomb will one day be your empty tomb because you trust in me. Jesus was really clear on his mission as a liberator from sin, death, Satan, hell. Are you clear on what your purpose is? Do you know, I hope you do, exactly why God has left you here? It's not hard. It's, it's really easily understood if, if you just remember what we so often call you here at Crosswalk. You are a Christ follower. If Christ could say that these words represent his mission, and if you are a Christ follower then these words represent your mission, your purpose, the reason God has left you here when you're already someone who trusts in him as your Lord and Savior. You are here because you too are chosen and anointed to proclaim good news to the poor, meaning the spiritually poor who don't know about the forgiveness of sins. See, you're spiritually rich because you know about the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has won for you. But there are a lot of people who are poverty-stricken who've not heard that message. He has sent me, and you can say this about yourself, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. God has given you a a pickaxe and say, lay into that pipeline, liberate those souls that are going to heaven. Don't let the fires of hell have them. Don't let Satan claim their souls. Free them. Help them recover their sight because they're blind. That's your purpose. That's your mission. Does it change your prayers? When you are clear about why you're still here, we get diverted by so many secondary, third, fourth, fifth level things. Being really crystal clear about why we're here in this life, why God has left us here as believers, is so important to praying. Always yes prayers. Notice what, notice what Solomon did. When he understood his purpose, he says, I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you've chosen. They're a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. You see what Solomon's doing there? He's saying, God, you've given me this amazing purpose. You've given me this amazing responsibility, this work to do. I'm awestruck 
king of these people. But here am I, Lord, in terms of being equipped for that purpose. There's a huge gap. I'm a little child. They need mature, kingly leadership. I don't think I have the wisdom and the discerning heart or even know the difference well enough between right and wrong to lead these people. Lord, it's a huge gap. Help me fill that gap. Help me fill that gap. And God says yes. When you think about your purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, do you feel that same gap? I know I do. Many, many times I've felt that gap. Lord, I'm too sinful to be pastor of this church. Lord, I don't have the wisdom to be pastor of this church. Lord, I, I, I don't know. I, don't, I begin to have the skills to be pastor of this church. There's this huge gap, Lord. And, and it's not just pastors that are here to share the gospel. You may be thinking, well, I'm too nervous to share Jesus. My workplace isn't, man, if I start sharing Jesus where I work, it's just going to go nuts. You, you think of all these things, this gap, and what you got to do is what Solomon did. Lord, help me fill the gap. What needs to change, in other words, for me to serve God's purpose? What needs to change in me, in my environment, in other people for me to serve God's purpose? And I'll tell you, it often breaks down to just two things. Like it did for Solomon, and I think he saw this from his own father, David. Look at, look at the Bible's verdict on Solomon's father, David's reign. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. You see that gap that I'm talking about? It's really usually basically two things. Do I have the integrity of heart that I need? And do I have the skillful hands that I need? And that's what Solomon was asking for. If you reread those first verses, that's really what he was asking for. Lord, give me integrity of heart. I want to know the difference between right and wrong and give me the wisdom that I need to lead these people skillfully. And that's what we need. We need the Holy Spirit to be poured out on us through things like baptism, through things like reading, rereading, studying and meditating on the scripture. We need the Holy Spirit poured out on us so that we're given integrity of heart and skillful hands. And as we do that, as we ask for things from God, we ask for these things that help us fill God's purpose. We ask for things that help fill that gap between what he's called us to do and what he's equipped us to do today. Give us more equipment, God, integrity of heart, skillful hands. And then we ask ourselves one more question. God, what are the things you value? Lead my heart, and first of all, lead my mind, which will lead my heart, to the things you value. I want to value what you value. And you know, God is so clear about that because God consistently throughout the Bible says what he values is spiritual things. And he says it in many different ways. Look at how Jesus says it in Matthew 6.33. But seek first his kingdom. And his righteousness. And what God's kingdom is, is simply this. It's his rule in your heart. So what this is really saying is, seek God's rule in your heart. Seek God's rule in other people's hearts. 
Seek that God rule in every person's heart so they be liberated from that pipeline. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. First, seek that you would be in God's kingdom through faith in Jesus Christ. Then seek that you would act in God's kingdom as a warrior for his kingdom, that you would march for his kingdom and serve in his kingdom. Notice what he says. Seek also his righteousness. Not your righteousness, his righteousness. Seek all the good things that Jesus Christ has done for you because he says, I want you to have them. So that when you stand before God, you, you already have my righteousness as your own. There, it's all credited to your account. He sees you as a perfect and holy child of God because of what Jesus did for you. Seek his righteousness. And then he makes this amazing promise. And all these things will be given to you as well. All these things. You know what those things are that, that's being refer- that are that are being referenced there? Jesus is talking about worry in Matthew chapter 6. And he says, you know, the unbelievers and the pagans, they run after so many different things. They worry about what are they going to wear. They're all about fashion all the time. And then they worry about what are they going to eat. Is there going to be enough on the table? Or is it going to be presented in the correct, correct way? They're constantly worried about food, drink, and clothes. Don't be like them, Jesus says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those things will be added to you as well. You know what's interesting? Solomon lived 950, 1,000 years before Christ, and yet look at the rest of these verses as we wind down here. Verse 10 on the front of the page, the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this, so God said to him, since you've asked for this, And not ask for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, notice that word, you can even circle it, moreover, meaning there's more coming. I will give you what you have not asked for both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. In other words, both Jesus and the story of Solomon remind us that if we have the right priorities, if we're in the right place in our head, we're on God's page with him, we value what he values, we see our purpose then we're going to start praying the kind of prayers that God says yes to because we're going to start being focused on his kingdom and on his righteousness and on the spiritual things that allow God to say, I will give you all of that for sure, for sure. And because I love you so much, I might also add a few more things to the list, things that you haven't even asked for. So don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Don't worry about the roof over your head, the clothes on your back. Ask for spiritual things because those are always yes prayers. Seek my kingdom and my righteousness. And that other stuff, that'll come in time because I love to bless you. 
Take a look at what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Here's the last word. We've talked about purpose and position and pages and all those kinds of things, priorities. But there's a word in here that's the most important word of all when it comes to always yes prayers. Will you circle the word promises? You see, if you really want to pray always yes prayers, pray God's promises. Whatever God has already promised you in the scriptures, he will give you. Because God always keeps his promises. He can't deny his promises because he can't deny himself. God is a faithful God. If you want to know that God is going to say yes to you, then pray things like this. I'll give you a little list. I'm trying to avoid a list, but I'll give you a list. God, forgive me of all my sins. God will always say yes to a sincere prayer asking for the forgiveness of sins. Ask for faith. God promises, if you seek me, you will find me. Ask for wisdom as Solomon did, spiritual wisdom, so that you can know what what things God needs you to know and be on God's page. Ask for peace, the peace that goes beyond all understanding. Ask for the kind of rest, the spiritual rest that Jesus promises when he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I promise you this. Ask for every promise that is contained in that cross. Ask for every promise that is contained in the empty tomb, left vacant on Easter morning so that you could know God's promise that one day, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, you too will rise from your grave. You want to pray always yes prayers, prayers that seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness first. Know God's promises to you, his gospel promises to you, and pray those promises. So let's go back real briefly. Whose page are we going to be on? Let's change it up and say, we stop saying so much, God, get on my page with me and say, God, help me get on your page with you. Let's remember what our purpose is is here, that we're here to preach freedom, to give vision to the blind, to, to liberate sinners on their way to hell. And in that purpose, let's see the gap and ask God to equip us to serve for the purpose that he's given us. Let's ask him for the priorities and the values that he has. And most of all, let's always, always remember his promises and know with full confidence, with full boldness, that every time we pray asking for something that he's promised us, he will grant it to us. Let's pray now. Dear Father in heaven, what amazing promises you you have made to us and continue through, the, through your word to make to us. 
Thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his cross. Thank you for that empty tomb that assure us that all of our sins are gone. Our guilt and shame are erased totally, completely, fully. In fact, the sins, guilt, and shame of an entire world have been erased in Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, help us know that that is for us, for me. And Lord, knowing our purpose, knowing your priorities, knowing the things that we need to know that come from your promises to us, help us to pray in light of all of those things, Lord, and know that when we pray in your promises, your answer to us is always going to be yes. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.